So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the passage that uh, was read on the screen, that we read together on the screen. And uh, for those of you who are just coming in among us this morning, perhaps for the first time, we began a new series in the book of 1 Corinthians about three weeks ago. And we're working our way through this book, and Lord willing, we will be finished by by June of this, of this year. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, our primary focus is going to be verses 23 through 26, but we will look at some verses around those verses, which gives us uh, some context as to why Paul writes these words here. I want you to keep three things in mind uh, as we come to 1 Corinthians 11 this morning. As we look at this book, three things to keep in mind. Paul is addressing, first of all, in this letter, conflict within the church. There was division. There were factions. Um, This was centered around personalities of leadership, initially at least. There were other divisions too, but that's what Paul addresses in chapter 1. But the division also pertained to the philosophies that the Corinthians were embracing. And that tells us that this conflict within the church was was more than just people getting along with each other or having opposing views, but they were actually, the second thing, they were compromising with the culture that surrounded them. The culture, the, the, the pagan Corinthian culture was, was coming into the church. And we, we see this all throughout the book. First of all, Paul addresses the issue of the philosophies, the wisdom of the world, which they were embracing. And then later on in the letter, he, he talks about the lawsuits that the believers were engaging in with each other, following the way of the world. He talks in chapter 6 about the fact that, that the Corinthians were adopting the sexual behaviors of the world that surrounded them. In chapter 7, they were, they were going along with what the world said concerning marriage. In chapters 8 through 10, they were actually bringing the idolatry of the world into the church by their practices and going to pagan temples and and participating in the food offerings in those temples. And so here we have a church that's living in a state of confusion, compromise, conflict within among themselves. And, And what is the solution? In every case, Paul calls them back to Christ and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We looked at this a couple of weeks back where, where Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. When it came to compromise within the church, and in chapter 5, there was, a, there was a man who was living such an evil and sinful life, and he was a member of the church, and Paul called the church to take action because this man was tainting and spoiling the, the testimony of the church in the world. And, and so what is the action that Paul calls, calls for? Well, he takes them back to the cross. He says, get rid of the old yeast that you may be a, a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sanctified. When it came to sexual, the, 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 the sexual behavior of the people. Paul reminded them in chapter 6, you're not your own. You've been bought at a price. What was the price? Christ's death on the cross. And so all through this letter, he keeps bringing them back 
to the gospel and to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he does here in chapter 11. There was a problem in the church. Now, keep in mind that the Corinthians and probably most of the early churches did not actually practice communion exactly as we do now. There would have been a, what they would call a fellowship meal, and so the whole church would gather for a meal, and at the end of the meal, then the pastor or one of the elders of the church would, would direct them to the bread and to the cup. And at that point, they would conclude their common meal with each other, with eating the bread and drinking from the common cup. And the reason for that was they were feasting on Christ, and, and their fellowship meal together was a reminder to them of all of the good things that they had received from the Lord. But what happened was the fellowship meal, before they actually took the bread and the cup, became the most important thing. And so there was division in the church because some people were gouging themselves on food. Some people, according to Paul, if you look at verses 17 through 20, were actually getting drunk getting drunk before they came to the Lord's table. And so Paul writes here, and he wants to correct what's going on. He, he wants them to understand what communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's sup, supper, what, whatever name we give it, he, he wants them to understand what the Lord's table is all about. And if you look at verse 20, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. Well, in a sense, it was, but it wasn't because of the way they were coming to the table, because of this misbehavior that was taking place, because of people who seemed to have more status getting to the food table quicker than others and, and gouging themselves, because of the, the way they were treating each other in this fellowship meal, and then they would come to this part of the service. Paul says, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. It's a special dinner, a special supper. And you can't eat the Lord's Supper unless you understand these things, Paul is saying. So he tells them in these verses what the Lord's Supper is all about. And at the Lord's table, we are to do six things. Now, I'm borrowing the outline here from Michael, Michael Green in one of, his, one of his books. I'm indebted to him. But he tells us we do six things. The first thing he says is that the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's table, we look back. We look back. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it. On the night he was betrayed. What night was that? It was the celebration of the Passover. They had met together in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, on the second floor, an upper room. And they were celebrating the Passover meal. In other words, communion, what we're doing now, is similar to the Jewish Passover feast of the past. The Passover was a very, very important night because on that night, the people of Israel would celebrate their release from captivity in Egypt. And you go back to the original Passover as we find it in the book of Exodus and what they were celebrating was what had happened in the past when the Jews were told to, to take a spotless lamb and to sacrifice that lamb to make sure that its blood was poured out into a basin. And then they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were, they were like with a, paint, a paintbrush, they were to 
put it all over the doorposts of their homes. And this was to ensure that the firstborn of Israel would not be killed when the destroying angel from God passed over their homes. Any home that had the blood over the doorposts, they were under the blood and therefore the destroying angel would pass over them. They were safe under the blood. And at every Passover meal, the father, the head of the home, would, would, would lift up a piece of bread and he would say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. And so what happened on that night? Jesus picked up a piece of bread. He, he broke the bread. He took a piece of the bread and he said to them, they're expecting to hear this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate. And what do they hear? Jesus turns the whole thing around and he says, this is my body, which is for you. In other words, communion points us back not to the great deliverance that happened in Exodus, but to an even greater deliverance when he died on the cross for our sins to set us free from the, from the worst captivity of all, being bound in our sins. And so we look back at the achievement of the cross we look back on Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was sacrificed for us. On his shed blood, we look back and realize that that blood was shed for us. And so as we take the bread today, we look back with gratitude for what Jesus Christ has done for us. The second thing we do at the Lord's table is we are to look in. We are to look within. There's to be some kind of a self-examination that takes place. He mentions this in verse 28. He says, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. And I think this takes us back to what he says in chap chapter 5 when he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Because when he talks about Christ as our Passover lamb, he says, we're supposed to get rid of the old yeast or the old leaven because we are a new batch. And this is exactly what the Jews would do on Passover night. Before they would celebrate the meal, they would go through the house and they would sweep the house clean. They wanted to make sure that there was no leaven that had fallen anywhere on the floors. And they would make sure that the house was completely cleansed of any leaven whatsoever because leaven was the symbol of sin. Leaven was the symbol of evil. And they would clean the house before they would eat. I mean, we do this at every meal. We normally wash our hands. We don't eat with dirty hands. We, we wash our hands before we eat. We wash first. And, 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 and Jesus, or Paul, is telling us here that, that we are to do the same. There, there needs to be a self-examination that takes, that takes place, a confession of our sin, an acknowledgement of our sin, an expression of repentance before him. And the receiving of the cleansing that comes from the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to look in. If we, if we haven't done this self-examination, -exam if we just simply come into the presence of the Lord and eat the bread and drink from the cup and we give no thought whatsoever as to its meaning and to our own unworthiness as sinners, then we are guilty of what Paul talks about here in verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. 
We're to look in. But we're also to look up. This is the Lord's Supper. Again, verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. In other words, that's his rebuke to them. But, but we have gathered together today to eat the Lord's sup- Supper. It is his. The emphasis is the Lord's. It's the Lord's table. It's the Lord's Supper. It's communion with the Lord. The table is his and the cup is his. He established this. Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Jesus gave this to them. He established it and he provided for it by his death. And he is the host who is at the table who invites us to eat with him. Did you catch that? We eat with him. With him. He is at the head of of the table. But he is the risen and ascended Lord at the table. We often refer refer to this as a memorial because Jesus said in these verses, do this in remembrance of me. But friends, it's way more than a memorial. When we gather, for example, at Remembrance Day to remember uh, men and women who were killed in the past, who, who served our nation and fought for us, We remember them. It's a memorial service, but they are dead. When we gather at this table, we we do not memorialize a a dead hero. We, We give thanks and praise to Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. We look up and we see him. This is more than a remembrance. It is communion with the living Christ. That is part of the mystery of what we do. Because at this table we feed on Christ. And we feed with Christ. He is the host. He invites us. We are his guests. He not only invites us to the table, he is the nourishment that we receive here. So at the table we look up to the Lord Jesus. And we feed on him. We also look around. This is more than just a vertical thing between us and God. There's a a horizontal dimension to this. And that's the context in which Paul writes about the communion service. Verses 23 through 26 give us basically the teaching of what communion is, but the verses that precede it and the verses that follow it are the, the, the the context in which he gives this instruction. And the the context is he was rebuking. The Corinthians, their behavior as they came to the table. They came with greed. They came with selfishness. Listen, look around. I told you last Sunday. Do you remember? I said, look around and look at the person seated next to you. And what did I say you were supposed to say to them? You're a nobody. Remember? Yeah. Not many of you were... We're noble. Not, 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 not many of you were influential when God called you. We are nobodies. So we look around again at each other, and what do we see? Well, some of us may be a little bit better dressed today than others. But what really do we see? We all come as equals. We are equally sinners. If you think you're not, then you shouldn't come to this table. 
We are equally sinners. We are equally recipients of undeserved grace. We are equally undeserving of the love and the forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ. We are Jesus' guests at his table. None of us have earned the right to be here today. He gives a free invitation, and it flows from his unmerited love, from the unmerited love of the one who hosts this dinner at his table. So there's, there's no room for one-upmanship. There's no room for pride. There's no room for bad relations among us. We come side by side. And we come so different from each other, different in race, different in status, different in terms of our economical status. Some of us are business owners. Some of us are employees. Some of us own homes. Some of us rent homes. Some of us are blue collar. Some of us are white collar. But we come as equals. And we all come with empty hands to receive the symbols of Jesus' death. On the cross. The key word in this passage is what he says in verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, most of us, we have an understanding of this, and we understand that God has established a new covenant with us through our Lord Jesus Christ, that this is a covenant between us and God. But this is a covenant that is communal in nature. God made a covenant with you individually, but he made a covenant with the person sitting beside you who knows Jesus and all of us who are gathered here. In other words, we are in covenant relationship not only with God through Jesus, but we are in a covenant relationship with each other. He has made a covenant with us. We are a community of his people. So at communion, we look around. And that self-examination piece where we're supposed to look in applies to the looking around. Because if we look in and see that we're not in good relation with the people that we're looking around at, then the Lord insists that there must be a mending of that relationship. That confession, if needed, and apologies, if needed, are spoken. And there is a restitution of our fellowship, a reconciliation with each other in our hearts. And if you don't do that, then don't come to the table. Because again, as he says in verse 29, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. We are to look around. Number five, we're also to look forward. Look at verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Do you realize then that, that each time we gather here in the first of the month to, to celebrate the Lord's death for us, to commune with him, that it is actually a foretaste, a foretaste of what is coming until he comes. This is a precursor to a greater dinner, 
to the banquet in heaven, to the marriage banquet of the Lamb. And when we, His perfected people, will be united with Him in joy forever. Hallelujah. So brothers and sisters, in the midst of of all that is happening in our world right now, the the, the wicked aspirations of of a dictator in Europe, the rising prices that are affecting us all, a failing stock market, the struggle that many of us have each week to make, to make ends meet, a dysfunctional government in Ottawa, a faltering healthcare system, the distress we feel at public education, as well as our own personal struggles with sin. At the table, we're invited to lift up our eyes, to lift up our heads, to see that our salvation is near because Christ is coming. Amen? We are invited to see the cross and the resurrection and the salvation that comes from Him as the first fruits. It's just simply what we know now is the first installment of all the blessings that are coming to us in the future. And that's why the book of 1 Corinthians ends with a prayer And the prayer is Maranatha, which means, come Lord, at the table we look forward to the day when this prayer will finally be answered. The final thing I want you to see about the Lord's table is at the Lord's table we also look outward. Again, verse 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. So surely in what we do right now today, we will be proclaiming to God our our thanks for the death of the Lord Jesus. But I think Paul has others in mind here. Some of us are here and, and what we're going to do this morning is foreign to you. Maybe you've been to a church before and you've seen it happen, but you don't really understand the significance of it all. Some of you are here today in an inquiring mode. Like, like, what is the Christian faith all about? You, you are being given today an, a visual, a physical thing that is going to communicate to you a spiritual truth. What you see when individuals will take this bread and, and drink from this cup, what, what you're going to see is a visual display of a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was crucified under Pontius Pilate. It is a verifiable fact of history. And that death of Jesus in symbolic form is is visual to, to every single person. We proclaim the Lord's death. So in a very unique way, in terms of our sight and in terms of our taste, God displays the cross for us. He reveals for us what Jesus Christ did for us. And so if you are not a follower of the Lord Jesus, you will will see that today. And we encourage you to watch what is going to happen and observe and to seek to understand by God's help the meaning of it all. But we proclaim the Lord's death in another sense in terms of coming to this table. 
because we come now and we look up to the Lord Jesus and we, we feed on him. We look back on his death. We look in in terms of ourselves. We look around in terms of our brothers and sisters of, in, in covenant relationship with us. But we also look outward as we go from this table at the end because we have been encouraged. We, we, we have fed on Christ. And so from this feast, as it were, from this meditating on the truth that God's love endures forever, that his mercies have been poured out, us, poured out on us in Jesus, our souls are revived and we're now sent out as ambassadors to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord and the Savior of the world. Would you bow your heads with me now in prayer, please? For the next few minutes, I want us to keep our heads bowed in a, state, in a state and an attitude of prayer. And as we do, I will walk you through various parts of prayer that you will engage in. But before we be, even start that, I want you to just picture in your mind a table, a large table. And you are at that table, and all around you are all the other people in this room who are at that table. And at the head of the table is Jesus. Just picture that. And Jesus is standing at the head, and he's, his arms are extended open, wide, inviting you to come. It's a picture of love. It's a picture of mercy. It's a picture of grace. It's a picture of what you and I do not deserve. And he's inviting us. Lord Jesus, we are in your presence this morning at your table and we, we, we look back right now. We look back at the achievement of your cross, of what you secured for us on that cross the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the gift of your Spirit. And Lord, we express to you today our gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. Lord, now we, we look in. And we pray, each one of us, Lord, Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Search me, Lord. Reveal to me where I have gone astray. Lord, we bring to you actions, things we've done. We bring to you attitudes that we have that are wrong. We bring to you, Lord, the things that we have failed to do, which we know we should have done.
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion and mercy. Blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me, Lord, the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing, a willing spirit to sustain me. Lord, now we look up to you and we see you, the risen lamb, our perfect unspotted righteousness, the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. We look up at you, Lord, and we, we want our souls to be fed with you, with your presence. You are the bread of life. Lord, in our hearts right now, we look around us and we we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're reminded of your commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. We're reminded, Lord, of your command through Paul that we should maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We're reminded, Lord, that we should bear with one another, forgive one another, care for one another. We thank you for the cross and the unity we feel in our hearts toward our brothers and sisters in Jesus. We acknowledge again our failure, Lord, to do all these things. And Spirit of God, if, if there is something major in terms of a breakdown in relationship with anyone who's here, Grant them, we pray now, the grace to do what they need to do for reconciliation. And Lord, we look forward today and we look forward to the day when you will come and you will rescue us from these bodies of sin. And sin will be no more. There will be nothing impure in your eternal kingdom. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus. And give us a taste, Lord, today as we celebrate at this table of what you have in store for us in the future. And Lord, we look outward as well at those we know, people we associate with on a daily basis, friends, family members, 
fellow workers, students who don't know Christ. And again, we pray today that that you would nourish us again with the bread of life. And in that nourishment, empower us with renewed, renewed resolve to share Jesus Christ with them. We ask all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.